0: We are coming to the end of the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 49 this evening, and uh, next time we, next time I have an opportunity to preach in the evening service, will be actually November, and uh, and we'll finish it up at that point. I was kind of hoping to have it finished before I left, and we're going to start into the book of First Thessalonians uh, following that, but but for, we'll just have to uh, make do with with the timing that we have. So Genesis chapter 49. Jacob at this time is a man who is, I believe, full of faith, and uh, now trusting God in a way he hadn't done really uh, in much of his life, schemed most of his life to get what he wanted, what he thought was best, even what God had planned for him. And uh, yet here he he comes across as a man who is confident in God's promises and is confident in God's blessings upon his children and and the various descendants. So let me read this passage of blessing by Jacob in Genesis chapter 49. And we'll begin in verse 1. This is the word of God. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, and then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore. He shall be a haven for ships, and his flank shall be towards Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good and the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people, as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider falls backward." For your salvation I wait, O Lord. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring, its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, and shot at him, and harassed him, but his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your Father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your Father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey and in the evening he divides the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one, with the blessing appropriate to him. Our actions will determine the quality of our future blessing. This passage here goes along providentially with the passage that we looked at this morning in Galatians chapter 6. That we reap what we sow. Our actions will determine the quality of our future blessing. Jacob, in the beginning of this passage, explains to them what he's planning to do. He says in uh, verse 1, I want to tell you what will befall you in the days to come. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Now, some of this is based on, as you'll see, as we go through each of these people, some of it is based on their character and the way that they had acted in certain situations. Because you are like this, or because you were like this, this is how you're going to be treated, or your people are going to to reign or rule. But we also have to recognize that this is not just wisdom on the part of Jacob, that he sees their characteristics and their ability to lead in certain situations. He's also pronouncing uh, a prophecy here. He's also given a, a prophetic statement about what's going to happen to them. And so this is something that comes through Jacob, but ultimately from God. That, that you will be used of great service for God. And here's, here's why. This is because God has chosen to bless my grandfather Abraham, my father Isaac, myself, and and now you, my twelve sons. And so Jacob takes uh, each of these blessings and he he blesses them in age order pretty much. Issachar is mentioned before. um, He's actually uh, older than Zebulun, but Zebulun is listed first. Okay, so those are the only two that are out of order as far as age, but generally speaking, it's done in age order. And, we could go through that uh, you know, person by person in that order, but I think perhaps a better way to go through it is by looking at the sons of lesser importance. They usually get like one verse, maybe two, just some quick statements about them. The sons of lesser importance and then the sons of greater importance. And those usually take up more. Uh, you probably recognize who those were as we went through. Okay, So let's start in verse 13. We'll see Zebulun. He's the, one of the sons of lesser importance. The reason I say lesser importance... Jacob doesn't give a whole lot of time to talk about their blessing. doesn't give them a whole lot of great benefits or uh, consequences because of their lifestyle necessarily. He just simply pronounces a blessing on him. You will receive land in the land of Canaan. Zebulun here in verse 13 is going to be settled somewhere near the Mediterranean Sea. And this is going to be a great spot for him to, to be involved in trading, which apparently is how his descendants would would uh, use this land area. Issachar, verses 14 and 15. Apparently, his descendants would be much like him, a strong donkey of a man, as, as he is called. But, but they would at some point become slaves, according to verse 15. The tribe of Dan, verses 16 and 17, would sit in judgment on the people of Israel. Uh, you remember uh, one man from the tribe of Dan. His name was Samson. Judges chapter 14 and following. And then in verse 18, Jacob inserts an acknowledgement of his dependence upon God. He's not including this in Dan's pronouncement of blessing or prophecy here. Verse 18 says, For your salvation I wait, O Lord. I think this is kind of a pause here. As he's going through these, some at a slower pace, some at rapid fire, he stops and says, It is You ultimately, Lord, who I wait on. We depend upon You to provide these blessings ultimately. I can't force these blessings to happen to my children. I pronounce these blessings on them based on my faith in You, but ultimately we trust in You, God. This is an acknowledgement of Jacob's dependence. Again, I said Jacob is a man full of faith here. In verse 19, Gad's tribe would be attacked, but they would fight back again. Verse twenty, Asher is going to have some sort of luxurious future. His food shall be rich. He will yield royal dainties. Verse twenty-one, Naphtali. His future will be marked by freedom and peace and prosperity. So these are all. You know, there's some negative consequences that they will have, but you're going to see that all of them will receive great, great blessing overall. Verse twenty-seven is the next son of of lesser importance. And his name is Benjamin, of course. Benjamin's tribe would be warriors. Notice he's a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. A couple of men that you know come from his tribe, from Benjamin's tribe. King Saul and the Apostle Paul were both from the tribe of Benjamin. And these blessings, I think, you know, I, I just went through them very quickly, but I think these would have been very important to the original readers, the people of Israel, who had had been delineated in these various tribes. They knew who their forefather was, which of these twelve sons was their ancestor. They knew which one it was, and so they probably memorized the the section that where Jacob pronounced blessing on their ancestor. So, for example, if If I were a member of Gad's family hearing this for the first time from Moses, from the pen of Moses, I would remember that that my family is going to raid at the heels of people who raid at us. And this would be, for me, a great source of blessing because I'm awaiting God and His promise in this way. Recognizing that God has something special for me. Even though there's going to be some fighting that that will take place uh, against my tribe, there's ultimately going to be victory. And so this would be a great source of blessing uh, recognizing that they're one of the chosen twelve tribes of Israel. So we have the the sons of lesser importance, and now we have uh, now we have five sons of greater importance, and they're given more weight in the scriptures. They're given more 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 time with regard to Jacob's blessings. and And so we can go back now to the beginning of Jacob's blessing in verse three and see these. The first, of course, is the firstborn, Reuben. Reuben um, was in a favored position, wasn't he? He should have received a favored portion. He should have received both the blessing and the birthright. But instead, he received neither. And the text tells us why. Uh, First, we need to see that he was in a position of preeminence. Notice verse 3. At the end of the verse, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. So we have this word listed two times. You're at the front, the top, your first place when it comes to power and dignity. That's all yours to lose, Reuben. But, verse 4, you're uncontrolled as water and you will not have the place of preeminence. What you should have gotten because of your position in the family has been squandered by a wasting of your own lust or wasting of it on your own lust. you wasted your inheritance and it wasn't that Reuben didn't want this blessing. it wasn't that you know like Esau seemed to be unconcerned about his birthright when he sold it for some food. Reuben really wanted this. But he squandered it away because he probably wanted it too much. And here's what I mean by that. When he had a, an immoral relationship with Jacob's wife, what he was likely trying to do is, is bring on his inheritance early, earlier, or guarantee that he would receive that inheritance. He couldn't wait on the appropriate time for when his father would eventually die. Instead, he tries to get his inheritance early, like the prodigal son, and as a result, he squanders the whole thing. Look at the text says in verse four: He is uncontrolled as water. Uncontrolled as water. Now, some people suggest that that means like he's as volatile as boiling water. He could just do anything at any time, kind of bouncing all over the place. But. But based on its usage in other places in the, in the Old Testament, this uncontrolled idea, it probably more has to do with his disregard for the godly things. That he, he acts with pride and presumption that he can do whatever he wants. That he can make his own way apart from what God has told him to do. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Reuben sowed a worthless, a an impulsive lifestyle, and missed out on some great blessings that he could have enjoyed. Next sons of greatest greater importance, I should say, found in verses five through seven: Simeon and Levi. They, because of Reuben's sin, were also put into position of were were then put into position of favored. They would have been next in line to receive the birthright and the blessing. And they are listed together because they share in the same vengeful sin. Do you remember their sin? The verse reminds us, these verses remind us of their sin. Verse 7 Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Right? In verse 6, middle of the verse Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self will they lamed oxen. They were next in line to receive the blessing, but they too squandered their opportunity for greater blessing through impulsive sin. We're not going to allow our sister to be disgraced, and so whoever did this is going to pay him and his whole city. So they attacked Shechem and all of his men and killed them all. Notice the result of their sin at the, end of, at the end of verse seven. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. They'll be dispersed and scattered, and the people of Simeon would end up with a very small portion of the land. Actually, their land their land would be within the land of Judah. It was hard for them to really have their own portion of land. They were they were so small. You remember how the tribe of Levi would be scattered right they didn't have one large portion of the land over by the coast or over you know by the river they were priests and so their land would be scattered all over the place and this is in fulfillment of these verses this pronouncement that it comes from their father we often think that you know the tribe of Levi they they must be really spiritual people they were chosen by God and actually started out from a wicked breed an impulsive breed. Whatever you sow, that will you also reap. The next person of greater importance is Judah in verses 8-12. through 12. Judah, the fourth born son. Judah is given a great deal of attention. And uh, at first, he seems to be a scheming, wily man uh, committing uh, this immorality with his daughter in-law you remember his son his oldest son died, and then his second oldest son died after marrying uh Tamar and uh and then he goes to a town to uh, apparently uh have some sheep sheared and there is a woman there with a veil on he thinks that she is a prostitute when really she's just has her veil on for mourning she's In mourning because she still hasn't gotten her husband. She's waiting her husband. She's trying to remind him that he he made her a promise. You remember he had a relationship, uh, an immoral relationship with her, and then um, uh, she had kept from him his his uh, cord that was around his neck, his signet ring, as well as his staff and uh and he's told about this situation of this immoral woman who who uh who needs to die and so on and and obviously finds out he's the one that had the that uh, had gotten her pregnant but Judah is a changed man isn't he later on in the book of Genesis it's amazing how God works in people even people who had been once impulsive God works in their lives as he does with Judah Judah had now proven himself with with the story of Joseph, as that begins to unfold, he starts to prove himself as a repentant person, a person who's serious about righteousness, who's serious about believing and trusting God, who's serious about sacrificing himself for the sake of his father and his brothers. He had changed, hadn't he? He was the one who was... uh, originally quick to attack Joseph and say, you need to be killed. He's the one who came up with the idea to sell him into slavery. But later on, when he had the opportunity to do the same to Benjamin, do you remember what happened? Turn to chapter 44. Did he do it? Did he discard his youngest brother? Did he even consider it? And the answer comes here in these verses. Verses 29-34. Genesis 44, verse 29. This is Judah taking Joseph aside after finding out that, that Benjamin is going to be taken because he had the silver cup in his sack. Verse 29, "...if you take this one also from me, Joseph, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. This he's quoting what his father would say here. Verse thirty. Now therefore, when I come to your servant my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he uh when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. And thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? Was Judah quick? to discard his brother Benjamin it doesn't even seem as if he considers it with Joseph he was quick to do it when he had the opportunity to get rid of this seemingly arrogant younger brother who thinks he knows everything these dreams and we're going to bow down to him and all the but now with Benjamin he understands the grief that he would bring upon his father And you see some love that he has for his younger brother, Benjamin. Instead now of turning against God and turning against his brothers, he now stands for them. So, because of this, turn back to chapter 49. Notice his reward. He now moves into a position of favor. Remember verse 4 said about Reuben, you shall not have preeminence. But notice verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. And your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. so, your brothers will praise you and they will bow down to you, verse 8 says. Probably not speaking of his actual brothers here. It's probably speaking of his brothers' tribes bowing down to his tribe one day. We've already seen uh, his actual brothers and himself bowing down to Joseph, literally. But here I think this is speaking of the future. How he would rule over all the other tribes. And how would that be? How would it be that the other tribes would bow down to his tribe? Remember, right, and even more broadly than that, or, or before the Messiah even comes, there's actually he's actually going to be the father of what? All the kings, right? And so they, when his tribe rules over all the other tribes, they're going to be forced to bow Bow down to to his descendants. I think that's the idea there. Verse nine says that he would be a tribe of power. Notice Judah is a lion's whelp. Does anyone have another translation there? What does that say? Have a, a lion's cub. Okay, whelp isn't a word we use in in our day really, so I'm not sure why that's translated that way. At least I don't. Maybe some other people do, but a lion's cub is probably a better translation there. He's a picture of power and courage and, and fearlessness. He goes after his prey. He lies down over it. It's as if he, he grabs it, he brings it back, and he lies over it because he's won. He's had the victory over it. This is going to be Judah's tribe. A place of power and preeminence. And then verse 10, a, pl- a tribe of rule. He's going to be a tribe of rule. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. There would be a kingdom that would start to be from the line of Judah, from his descendants, from David all the way down to Christ. So this is the blessing. Okay, I said that Reuben had the place of preeminence so that he should have gotten both the birthright and the blessing. Here's what Judah is receiving, the blessing. That is a place of rule over his the rest of the tribes over the rest of Israel. That's a blessing. Okay, now the birthright is going to go to Joseph, as we'll see. That's a double portion of the material blessing. This is really the rule and the, uh, and the ability to have the Messiah come through his line, to have the kingly line. This is what Judah received. And so this is really more than just a beginning of a kingdom, but this is actually a prophecy that the Messiah would come through him. And here's how we know that at the end of verse 10. Notice, until Shiloh comes. Until Shiloh comes. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard Christ referred to as Shiloh. Um, I personally, before I studied this passage, I hadn't thought of it in those terms. But let me show you why I believe this is pointing to Messiah. Because some people believe that the name Shiloh uh, should be referring to a specific City. And that's how Shiloh is used in other parts of the Old Testament. It's, it's actually a tribal territory within the, uh, within the, the, the uh, land of Ephraim where the tabernacle would later be established. That's Shiloh. But the reason I think this is not what Jacob meant, that is a place, a, a city, is because that would have really no meaning for the original readers. What would they have to do with the future city of Shiloh. Why would they be waiting for future Shiloh? Instead, what I think it has to do with is the idea of what Shiloh means. And Shiloh means whose right it is. Whose right it is. And that same phrase is used in Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 27. And it's referring to the Messiah. It says, "...the last king in Israel..." Had reigned and, and promised and it was promised by God until the one whose right it is will come. Okay, so the last king in Israel would reign until the one whose right it is will come. Who is the one whose right it is? The Messiah, the Christ. Okay, so so what what Jacob is saying here is the scepter will not depart from you until Shiloh comes. He's going to be the last one. The last king. And further proof of this is found in the last line of verse 10. Notice. And this is why I think uh, this is not referring to a city. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Okay, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The point is is that the scepter would remain in Judah until the Messiah would come and then he would retain it forever. He would be the one who would rule eventually with the rod of iron. And notice, along with all these great benefits that Judah receives, his descendants receive, there will be great blessings accompanying his rule. Verses 11 and 12, he ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. How smart would a person be if during a time of famine... They tied up a donkey to a choice vine, right? What would happen to that precious produce? The fact that Judah is here saying that you could tie up your colt, your young colt your, your young colt to a choice vine suggests what a time of abundance as if the choice of vine even is not uh is not in in uh, small what's the opposite of prosperity um that's what i'm looking for you know what i'm saying there so it's not in scare it's not scarce okay it's not in a time of scarcity and so the goods at that time will be overwhelming it's, it it won't be a matter of uh of whether oh, i don't know if we're going to have enough to survive let's keep the animals away from the best stuff we'll tie them up to it It doesn't matter Judah's tribe would be a source of great future Blessing. When do you think this future earthly agricultural blessing would take place? Do you think it was during the time of David or the time of Solomon or the time of Jehoiakim or even the time of Christ's first coming? Were, were you able to tie up a donkey to a choice? When do you think that will be? In the Millennial Kingdom, when Christ reigns on the earth with that scepter that was promised to the tribe of Judah. And during that time, there will be great agricultural blessing. That We will have our barns so full that we won't won't even be able to to use all that we have. It will just be an abundant time upon the earth because the curse will have been reversed. Judah moves into a position of favor because of his faithfulness to God. Whatever you sow, that will you also reap verses twenty two through twenty six we find Joseph. Joseph moved to a position of favor as well. He didn't receive the kingly blessing like Judah did. that only goes to one person. Instead he received what should have gone to Reuben, and that is the birthright. The birthright is the double portion of the material blessing that would come from the Father. So instead of, okay, let's just imagine that Reuben obeyed, if he had obeyed, instead of Reuben receiving one portion out of twelve of the material blessing, he would receive two portions, but he squandered that through his impulsive living. And Joseph picked up on it, and that's why we're going to see that Joseph doesn't get a specific blessing to himself to his name really. It's actually to his two sons. Remember Manasseh and Ephraim. And that's basically because he's received the material portion of the blessing doubled. One to one son. And, so, and one to another. And so they act really as adopted, almost adopted sons into Jacob's family. Now instead of one blessing, Jacob receives two as, with regard to the material. Notice the reason for his position of favor in verse 24, the end of the verse, from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. You see that in capital letters in the New American Standard. And then from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, from the God of your Father who helps you and by the Almighty. We have this piling up of names of God. The idea here that Jacob is saying is that, that God has empowered you to receive this blessing, to, to act in faith. He is your strength. There's nothing too hard for Him. He is your shepherd. He will not cause you to want. He will never cause you to lack anything, Joseph. And ultimately, God was behind it all. Verse 25, that He is the, one, he is the mighty one who blesses. Joseph can't take ultimate credit for it. God was behind it all. And this is why Joseph's future is described as, verse 22, a fruitful vine, a prosperous future. Verse 23, a protected future. Because of his prosperity, he would be susceptible to attack, but he would be protected by God ultimately. His bow would remain firm. You see that in verse 24. His arms were agile. He didn't give up in times of battle. In and, and verse 26, he would receive extensive... Blessings. Let me just make a few, uh, three key points about these pronouncements of blessings. Three points about these pronouncements of blessings. Number one, all 12 sons are being blessed by their fathers. And not every son received what they could have received. Many squandered their resources, their future inheritance away, much of it, not all of it. Others were simply not in a position to receive greater things. They're like the, the one man who was given only two talents. Okay, So, so they weren't in a position to receive greater things, greater positions of service and, and blessing. But, but the point is that all twelve sons are being blessed. They're all being blessed. Notice verse 28 again. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed Them. He blessed them, every one with the blessing appropriate to him. So these are not okay, blessings mixed with cursing. These these are blessings. Now, when we come away from you know uh, Simeon and Levi and some of these other sons of lesser importance, we kind of read, Wow, this lots of bad things seems to be happening to you, but but ultimately need to recognize based on verse twenty eight that every one of them was going to be blessed. Not because they deserved to be blessed. They were blessed by virtue of being born into the family that was promised the blessing. And I think you recognize that that the same sort of principle applies to us. All the blessings that we receive as Christians are not because we deserve them. In many cases, we squander our opportunity to receive more, but ultimately everything that we do receive is because of God's favor, because of God's grace. And so, like I was mentioning earlier, they would have remembered these pronouncements of blessings the families would have and would have taken joy in them. And we too should take joy in the pronouncements of blessings that we've received from God. That in Christ we have all of these great resources that are made available to us both now and in the life to come. And we should be joyful and happy in that. Number two, several, several of the brothers forfeited greater blessing. Several of them forfeited greater blessing. And consequently, they forfeited greater blessing and responsibility for service for their descendants as well. And so let me just uh, encourage you, as I did last week, to use your life to the fullest. I talked about uh, this book by Piper, Don't Waste Your Life. How can you use up all the resources that you have that God has given you for His purposes? How can you use up all of the resources so that you don't come to the end of your life and say, my days are few and full of trouble and much of them were because I wasted it. I could have done more. You might think, well, to use all of my resources for God's purposes, that's too big of a task. I'm just trying to get by spiritually. But I would encourage you to start small. Think of one specific area of responsibility that God has given to you, but you're currently wasting it. Think of one of those and just work on one for right now. How can you start using that area of responsibility for God's desires? Maybe it's your mornings that you're wasting. Maybe from the time you get up to the time that you have a specific responsibility, whether it be work or children or or whatever it is, that period of time you're wasting on fill-in-the-blank, checking to see what's on the news, checking to see what the latest Facebook statuses are. What if you used your morning, for example, to further develop your relationship with God instead of doing those other things? Will you ever get to the end of your life and say I really wish I knew more about what was going on in other people's lives based on what they were putting on their Facebook or I really wish I would have known what was going on in other parts of the world or on the today show I missed I missed out on some of that stuff Okay that's not going to be the case for anyone but it will be the reverse will be the case I wish I wouldn't have wasted my time on those things. And I wish I would have spent more time developing my relationship with God. Maybe it's the, your area of responsibility is your marriage. Instead of wishing that things would get better or maybe just hiding all of your problems under a rock, what would happen if you treated your spouse like God has commanded you to treat him or her? What if in every situation you responded rightly to them no matter how they responded to you no matter how they treated you you will not get to the end of your life and say i wish i would have been i would have show, shown my wife that i was right more often but you will get to the end of your life and say i wish i would have treated her with love as i wanted to be treated i would have liked to be treated as Christ loved the church. That's how I wish I would have done it. Maybe the area of responsibility is your money. Perhaps you have enjoyed the security that money brings so much that you lust after it if you don't have enough or that you're so secure in it that you forgot what it's like to depend upon God. You forgot what it's like to give sacrificially to the needs of others, to the work of God. Don't squander your opportunity to use your life to the fullest for God's purposes. Just start small. Start small and work from there. Paul says it this way in his writing. He says, walk worthy of your calling. Think about who you are in Christ, what you've received in Christ, and then walk worthy of that. We're not worthy of it, but walk as if you are worthy of that. And how do we do that? We, we do it by living according to God's Word, what He's told us to do. So, so several of the brothers forfeited greater blessing because of their impulsive, sinful desires, Are following through on those impulsive, sinful desires. Number three, a few brothers excelled in faithfulness. A few brothers excelled in faithfulness and consequently enjoyed greater blessings. They excelled in faithfulness and received greater blessings. And this is the principle, one of the principles that we learned this morning. That is that you will reap what you sow. So if you spend your life sowing seeds of righteousness, sowing seeds of submission to the spirit's desire, you may not even live to see the results of sowing that seed. You may not live to see all of the great blessings that come as a result of your righteousness because many of those blessings will come after you have gone you may not live to see the results in the short term but i can guarantee you that you will not despair or be disappointed in the long term for having sown your life sown righteousness your life throughout your life sown the desires of the spirit rather than sown the desires of the flesh all these evil things that that our hearts want to do. So you will reap what you sow. Our actions determine the quality of our future blessing. All of us who are in Christ will receive future blessing, but there will be some how do I say this? regret when we look back on what we could have done. Yes, we'll be happy to be there. We'll be ecstatic to be with Christ forevermore and to have our sin removed fully and finally. But there also be a sense of sorrow and sadness because we have spent much of our time or wasted much of our time on ourselves and on, on uh, trying to do things your own way, trying to scheme our way to getting God's blessings when it simply comes, when it simply comes down to faith and obedience. Pray. Father, we thank you for your your hand of mercy upon us. That you do provide blessing even though we don't deserve it. Help us to walk worthy of our calling. May you use us. May you change us. May you continue to prick at our hearts where we need to be changed. May we see the areas of waste in our lives when it comes to our time, our money, our relationships, our jobs. May we remove those areas one by one and continually give of ourselves in sacrifice, in sacrificial service to You the very least that we can do in response to Your grace. It's not easy and we can't do it alone. We need Your help. We need the help of the people here in this church to encourage us and to challenge us. We pray that You'd help us. Help us as we help one another and as we pray for them and as they pray for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.